0: All right. Well, hey, good morning. good morning. It is good to see you. I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, we are in this year of discipleship. We are in week number 35, as Jake mentioned. Bob reading plan, F260. Uh, I, I want to break my streak. This is week 35 of me encouraging you, if you haven't joined us yet, to please uh, join us in this. You can find physical Bible reading plans over at Next Steps or friendshipwire.com slash 2022. Uh, I do want to put in a quick plug. Uh, We're going to start something tomorrow morning on our social media uh, channels on Facebook and Instagram where we're going to post a a couple minute um, video, kind of Devo from different folks in our church, just highlighting that verse of the week. All right, so uh, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, we'll start that tomorrow morning. Uh, you'll get to hear from different voices. Hopefully, that'll root us more in that scripture for the week. But we're in the series called "Word Made Flesh." We're examining through the Gospels the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I want to start with a quote this morning. I know we were no strangers to uh, quoting folks around here, but I want to start with a quote from Jesus Himself in John chapter sixteen, verse number seven. As Jesus speaks to his disciples really on the day before he is to go to the cross. And he makes this statement to his disciples, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I want you to take a moment to put yourself in the the shoes of the disciples. So Jesus has been with you for three years in the flesh, right by your side. And he's been teaching you. He's been leading you. He's been pointing you in the right direction. He's been coming to your rescue, right, pulling you out of all your messes. And and this is just uh, hypothesizing on my my part, but I imagine there's probably some healing going on too. You know, like Jesus is healing the the multitudes. And if you're traveling with Jesus, I I can imagine just being like, Jesus, I got a headache. Can you do something? Your faith has made you whole. Right? And be like, sweet. It's awesome to be in the inner circle. You know what I'm saying? Um, but for three years, you've been with Jesus. And here he is telling you, informing you that He is, he's is going to go away, that he's leaving. And you can imagine like your chest tightening a little bit, like the shock of Jesus is not going to be with me anymore. And yet here he makes this further statement that's even more shocking. He tells you, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, it's, it's better for you that I leave. And so imagine, like, how you'd respond to this. I mean, I just imagine going, what? How? Jesus, how, is, how could this possibly benefit us? How could it be better for us, for you to go away? For you to not be right by my side in the flesh? And so I want to read the rest of of the statement from Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you." you. What Jesus is referring to, the helper, is the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus says here is that if I don't go from you... The Holy Spirit won't come to you, and it's to your advantage. It is to your benefit that I leave so that the helper may come. And now I want you to think, I want you to take yourself out of the disciples' shoes at this point and, and think about your own life, because his teaching then has implications now. What Jesus was saying by implication was that for us, like, we have this benefit, we have this advantage That we have the Holy Spirit with us. And and I want you to consider this because maybe you've never thought about this before. That there were some Old Testament saints. All right, think of them down through the ages. Abraham and Moses and David and Samuel and all these these, uh, Ruth and Esther and all of these greats of the faith who didn't have what we get to have today. And that's the Holy Spirit, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God would, through his Holy Spirit, move upon and and in and through people in the Old Testament. But we have an advantage. We have the benefit of having the Holy Spirit with us today. And so the title of today's sermon is The Most Misunderstood Person of the Trinity the most misunderstood person of the Trinity. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we've been singing about the Holy Spirit. We're going to preach about the Holy Spirit. I thought that I would get in on kind of the theme of the day, so I decided to wear my holy jeans, Holy Spirit, holy jeans, um, so it all fits together. So there's a temptation I have this morning in trying to say everything that there is to be said about the Holy Spirit. And y'all, that would take weeks, right? Uh, And there's also this temptation that I have to try to help us completely understand who the Holy Spirit is. And I don't even know that if that's possible. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so my goal today is not that we would know everything about the Holy Spirit. There's gonna be a lot that's left unsaid today. My goal today is that we would un- understand him better as our helper, as our helper, so that we can live in light of who he is as our helper, so I'm just ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Let's pray. Let's. We've already sung and invited the Holy Spirit into this place, but I, w- I just want to take a moment to ask myself, Lord, we are thankful for this opportunity that we have to worship you to gather together. And uh, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? We open our Not just our Bibles, we open our minds and our hearts to whatever it is that you want to declare to us. We want to understand you more. We want to know you more so that we could live in light of of who you are and the way that you've created us to live. And so God, as as we look into your word, would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to be this morning in John chapters 14 through 16. We're going to look at a few verses throughout this. And I want to say this, if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 14. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, I would love to give you a free copy uh, at Next Steps afterwards. Uh, I haven't, it blows my mind that I have not said this through 35 weeks in 2022. But if you have a Bible and you don't have it with you, I want to encourage you to bring it with you. Uh, because one of my favorite compliments that I get is that we teach and preach the Bible. That's probably my favorite compliment that I I could ever get. Uh, It's cool to be a church that preaches and teaches the Bible and believes the Bible. What I want to be is a church that loves the Bible and that we carry our Bibles with us. So if you have a physical copy, uh, bring it. I would encourage you. I've said this before. Some of you are, are new around here, but like one of my favorite sounds in the world is like the sound of, hey, turn in your Bibles to John 14 and hearing this. It's like angels' wings, y'all. It's the most beautiful sound of a preacher. Uh, So, John 14 is where we're going to be here in a moment. Let me set the context of where we're at. So, Jesus has been preaching the gospel. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's been validating his identity and his authority through all of these miraculous works. And in John 13, we're in the gospel of John. As we come to these chapters of 13 through 17, What we see here is that Jesus has been, according to what was said in John 1, 11 and 12, he's been rejected by his own, by his own people. If you remember, it says he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. And so Jesus has been rejected by his nation. And so in these chapters, Jesus begins to turn his focus to those who have received him. The next verse, John 1.12 says, But to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so Jesus turns from the nation who has rejected him, and he turns and focuses in on these few who did receive him as disciples. And so he moves away from this public ministry into this private ministry, and he's speaking in these chapters, 14, 15, 16, 17, to his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest. So, like, think about this. This is literally a day away from the cross. And and, and all that you see talked about in John 13 through 17, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And so, as such, these these chapters, I believe, contain some of his most important teaching. All right, so with that in mind, we're in John chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And, And what I want to do is I just want to read through... Uh, some verses in, in chapter 14, 15, and 16. Just note a few things about the Holy Spirit, about his role, what he does. And I want to try to, as much as possible, kind of speed through this first part because I want to spend a good bit of time on a couple things that we need to know in order to live with him as our helper. So John 14, we're going to read verses 16 and 17. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper To be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So, a few things that we see, and again, we could spend a week on each of, of these things, and we won't. But, but here's here's a few things we learn about the Holy Spirit here from what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit, first of all, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. When Jesus tells them about this Helper, He says, "I." Will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Another helper. So, what what that means is not another of a different kind. It literally in the Greek means another of the same kind. And so, I want to read you this quote from John MacArthur, who says this The Greek word, another, specifically means another of the same kind, i.e., someone like Jesus Himself who will take His place and do His work. The Spirit of Christ is the third person of the Trinity, having the same essence of deity as Jesus and as perfectly one with him as he is with the Father. And so the Holy Spirit is God. And, and oh, my goodness, we don't have time to unpack the Trinity. But the Trinity, in a nutshell, is one God who exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This isn't, we would call them maybe the three-in-one or a triune God. It's not three gods Not three separate gods come together. It's not God in three parts. It's one God in three persons. Co-existent, co-eternal, co-equal, distinct persons with distinct roles. And, uh, you you know, we'll have a link in our sermon notes if you want to learn or kind of dig in a little bit more with uh, the idea of the Trinity. I want to show you a little image here that may be the best depiction of trying to explain the Trinity. There's been ones that don't kind of fit the bill, like a, an egg that has three parts and yet it's one that doesn't really totally fit, or water, uh, ice, you know, it's liquid vapor, solid, that really doesn't capture the essence of the Trinity. This is probably the best way to depict it. You see this three in one, The God is comprised of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Each one of them is God, but the Father is not the Son. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, not the Son. So there are three and yet one. And, and it's just important that you know, again, we, we don't have time to unpack all this, but you need to understand from the start that the Holy Spirit is God. All right, and right, in, right along with that idea, the Holy Spirit is he, not it. Uh, notice, you know, I, I know we live in the age of pick your own pronouns, okay? And that could be a whole another discussion. Uh, but the pronouns are very important here. When you go back and look at what Jesus said, he said, verse seventeen: "The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither knows Him nor uh, neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you." It doesn't say you, you don't know it or it is going to come. It is he. Uh, You understand what I'm saying? He is a person. He is not a force. So for all you Star Wars fans, (laughs) sorry to burst your bubble. If you watch any of the Star Wars movies, you go, oh, wow, the force kind of feels like a picture of the Holy Spirit. Yes, to a degree, but then the force, you have like the light side and the dark side. And so every picture kind of falls apart. But he is a person, not a force. He's not this energy or this force that's out in the universe, he is a a person. And so this is important. Have have y'all ever called someone else's baby an it? Have you ever done that? What are you gonna name it? Yeah, not cool. You know what I'm saying? Very insensitive. And I I'm sure I did it way more than I remember before I became a dad, you know. What are you gonna name it? it it's a person, it's a child, all right? And, and so we kind of, you know, we, we do the same thing with the Holy Spirit when we refer to him as an it. We depersonalize who he is. He is a person. He is God, he is a person. Uh, here's a third thing that we kind of learned from even these few verses. The Holy Spirit will indwell you. The thing that he says here is, he says, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is a pretty remarkable thing because in the Old Testament, this is not how the Holy Spirit functioned. The Holy Spirit would sometimes come in and and dwell somebody or, or come over someone, anoint someone with power. But it was always a temporary thing. He would kind of come and go. It was kind of like somebody coming over to your house, hanging out for a while, enjoying a meal, but then you know, they would go home at some point. Uh, but now, in the New Testament, since, since the coming of the Holy Spirit after Jesus left, the Holy Spirit indwells you. It, it, it's a permanent indwelling. So when we put our faith in Christ, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and takes up residency there. We become his permanent dwelling place. I I love this statement. In the Old Testament, God created a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God created a people to be his temple. In the Old Testament, he created a temple for his people. In the New Testament, his people. We become the temple. And we won't go there, but 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, talk about this idea that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become his dwelling place. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus kind of is, is, is briefly just laying out this idea. He's going to be with you and in you. He will indwell you. And again, this is one of those advantages that we have that no one in the Old Testament ever had. David, even a man after God's own heart, he never had the Holy Spirit permanently indwelling him. And that's why, you know, there's this prayer he makes in Psalm 51 that can be kind of confusing to us. But David, as he's confessing his sin to God about his, his, uh, his, his affair with Bathsheba, he comes to this place where he prays to God. He says, God, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And that was a, a totally appropriate prayer for him to pray that God's hand, his spirit was upon him. And so his fear and all of his sin, as he comes to God, he says, God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me because there was the possibility that God would remove his Holy Spirit from him. But that's not an appropriate prayer for us to pray today. If you know Jesus, he comes to stay, he moves in and he will never move out. That sounds like a bad college roommate or an adult child, but when it's the God of the universe, man, it's an incredible truth. He comes to indwell you. All right, so let's move on down a couple of verses. John 14, verses 25 and 26. Here, here again, Jesus speaking further about this helper. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so what we see here, and we also see it reiterated in, in a couple chapters in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will teach you and guide you into all truth. He, so for the disciples, they're like, Jesus, you've been our teacher. You've been teaching us all these spiritual truth, tr- truths, and now you're going away. And Jesus says he will, he will teach you. He will bring into your memory will remind you of all the stuff I've already taught you. In chapter 16, we'll see in verse number 13 that he is going to be the one who guides you into all truth. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be the one who teaches you spiritual things. It's not your heart. It's not the world. It's my spirit in you. He's going to guide you into all truth. And so that's important to know. Uh, dropping down to chapter 15. I told you I'm going to try to rapid fire through this, all right? Chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. Again, Jesus, speaking of this helper, he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, and again, he, he just told us he's going to be the one who teaches you truth, and this is why over and over and over, Jesus in these chapters calls him the spirit of truth. He's not just a spirit of emotion or feelings. He is the spirit of truth who's going to teach you the truth, and he says that when he comes, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so what Jesus is is telling them here is that the Holy Spirit will... Uh, actually, you know what? Um, let, let's continue. I'm going to read down into chapter 16 uh, before I go there. It's chapter 16, verse number 5, just a few verses further. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning... Because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So a few things that that we see here from Jesus speaking to his disciples is that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ, not himself. The Holy Spirit will glorify Christ, not himself. In verse 14, he said, he will glorify me. So the job of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to point to Jesus. It's to draw attention to Jesus, not to himself. And the reason this is so important is because, you know, all different kinds of churches teach different things, right? And there's some churches that I would say overemphasize the person of the Holy Spirit, they would major on and focus on uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those are important things, but I would say they overemphasize those while on the other end of the spectrum, and this would typically be in our tribe, Baptist churches would tend to underemphasize, right? Or sometimes even ignore or neglect the Holy Spirit in a, in a response or a reaction to those who overemphasize him. And so they would kind of like remove the Holy Spirit altogether. I've heard it said that like growing up in a Baptist church, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, uh, and not the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, right? But, but this overemphasis, um, it's this tending to, to put so much focus on the Holy Spirit and i and we just need to see what jesus says is the role of the holy spirit. The holy spirit's role is not to draw attention to himself. It's to point to Christ. He will glorify me. It's like a spotlight. A spotlight doesn't exist to shine light on itself, but on another, right? It's it's like John the Baptist in John 1 when he said, "I am not the Christ. Behold the lamb of God." He was pointing he was he was in this instance a picture of the holy spirit. He was pointing to Jesus. He was glorifying Christ, not himself. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to draw attention to Jesus. And another thing that we see here is the Holy Spirit, he says he will empower you to bear witness to the truth. He's going to empower you to bear witness to the truth. So one of the things he says at the end of verse 15 is, that he will bear witness about me. Again, this kind of plays off that idea that he's gonna glorify. He's gonna witness or point to me. And he says, and you also will bear witness. So it's the Holy Spirit, but you're gonna do it too. He's gonna empower you to do this work of proclaiming the gospel, of pointing to Jesus. He will empower you to bear witness. And there's one other thing here I wanna see that he says, in John 16, is the Holy Spirit will convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will convict of sin. In other words, he's the one who helps us to understand that we're sinners. He is the one that convicts us of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God, that we don't meet that standard of his holiness. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of judgment, judgment to come. That because of our standing before God, because we fall woefully short of his holiness, because of our sinfulness, that there is a judgment that is coming. And so his Holy Spirit, I love this. He He not only reveals the truth to us, but he brings conviction to our hearts that leads to repentance. Repentance repentance is just this, this changing our mind that leads to a change of our action. He helps us to understand our sinfulness. His righteousness and judgment to come. And he he gives us this opportunity to to receive conviction that leads to repentance, just turning from our sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who does all of this incredible work. So in light of all those things, and again, many more things that the Holy Spirit does This is what Jesus is teaching here and I want to focus for the 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 remainder of our time together on two things we need to understand about the spirit as our helper two things we need to understand about the spirit as our helper and again this is this is for the sake of us being able to live by the spirit to be able to live in a way that honors him in a way that he actually can function as intended as our helper so Uh, I see a lot of you writing. If there's nothing else you write today, make these two points the things that you write down today. Here's the first one. We don't get more of him. He gets more of us. We don't get more of him. He gets more of us. So I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want to out yourself. Um, But let me ask you a question. Have you ever prayed this prayer or heard this prayed? God give me more of you. God, give me more of you. And, and I'm not trying to come down on anybody um, because I, I believe that is a very sincere, heartfelt prayer, but it's also a faulty one. And I'm not here to correct, but but we need to understand because though our intention may not to ask God to give us more of him, it's, a, and it's an, it, I get it. It's a, it's God, I want to follow you better. I want to know you better. I understand the heart behind it. But when you think of the words, you know, it's like a child at a table that finishes their meal and says, okay, give me more. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I don't have enough. So here's the problem with this this statement. God, give me more of you. We don't get, if you have Jesus, if you've called upon his name, you believe in him, we can't get any more of him. He's already given us all of himself. Amen. It's not like he gave us half of himself or he said, okay, I'm going to give you half of my spirit. And at some point when you measure up, I'll give you the rest of it. When he comes, he comes in all of his fullness. He has already given us everything. He's given us his life. He's given us his completed word. He's given us his Holy Spirit to live within us. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says it this way, I have given you all things that pertain, everything that has to do with life and godliness, I've given it to you. You have it all. I've given it all to you. He can't give us any more than he, than he already has. Rather, here's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to give him more and more of ourselves. Does that make sense? He's already given us all of himself. What he's asking is for us to give him more and more of us. And in the New Testament, there are two phrases in particular that are really synonymous phrases that he uses to kind of describe this. And you've heard these phrases, I'm sure. He talks about being filled with the spirit and he talks about walking in the spirit being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And I want to show you these two passages. Ephesians 5, Paul says this in Ephesians five eighteen: do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. And some of you are like, why would I ever get drunk on wine? Insert your alcohol of choice, all right? Or your substance of choice, whatever it may be, the idea is to be not under the control of any substance, but be filled with the Spirit, So there's this contrast here. What Paul is saying is, I want you to live continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Live under his control, not under the control of any alcohol or any substance or any object or any affection. Don't live under the control of anything, but be filled with the Spirit. He says in verse number 19, Here's the result of it, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Y'all, does that sound familiar if you've been around a while? Colossians 3, 16 and 17, we end every single service with this benediction, and this is really a sister passage of Colossians 3, where here it says, be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3, it says, let the word of Christ do what? Dwell in you richly, which produces a song in you, which produces this behavior toward one another. And so what you see here, y'all, this is why we're in the word this year, because there is this correlation between being filled with the word of Christ and being filled with the spirit. They go hand in glove. That when you spend time with the Lord and you fill your your heart with his word, the word of Christ, you then give opportunity for the spirit of God to fill you. And I don't know about you, but every morning I wake up, I am full of not the spirit, I'm full of myself and I've got to empty myself and I've got to fill my heart and my mind with the word of Christ so that I can walk in the spirit and it produces something amazing. Galatians five, let's go there. Galatians five, you you probably, if you are familiar with this passage, we know this as the passage that talks about the fruit of the spirit. How do we get the fruit of the spirit in our life? Galatians five, Paul says it this way. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, you know, your worldly, your, your human desires are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, and it goes on to list those. We'll skip those. But verse number 22 here, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in your life when you're walking by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, it produces this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, or other translations say walk in the Spirit. So so here's the idea. It's not, hey, be more loving, be more kind, have more peace and joy in your life. No, it says that when you walk by the Spirit, when you allow His Spirit to fill you and lead you, He will produce all of these things in your life. The Spirit will come out of you. And y'all, you know this as well as I do. You know it in your life and the life of others that when you, it is very evident when someone is walking in the Spirit. You see love and joy and peace and things flow out of them. They seem to have a song in their hearts as Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 talked about. It's because the Spirit produces this when we walk in the Spirit. And again, this is this idea of us not getting more of him, but him getting more of us. That we allow him to fill every crack and crevice of our hearts and of our lives till he has all of us. And then it starts over tomorrow, and then it starts over on Tuesday, and then Wednesday. It's this filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a relationship here that we walk with him, and we submit ourselves to him we empty ourselves of us so that he can fill us i think that's about any good relationship about my relationship with my wife Annette that our relationship is far more beautiful when we are we when we are in lockstep with one another when we're walking together and and i'm living to serve her and she's living to serve me and we're not hiding anything or holding anything back that we're giving ourselves fully to one another Jesus has already given us everything. And if we're gonna live in the Spirit, it's it's Him getting more of us, fully, giving ourselves fully over to Him. And so we don't get more of Him, He gets more of us. So that's the first thing that I want to talk about. Here's the second thing. The Spirit's work is sometimes spectacular, but it's always personal. The Spirit's work is sometimes spectacular. That's hard to say as a Baptist. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) He does spectacular things, but he's always personal. Here's the misconception. There's this misconception that the Holy Spirit is only present when we feel warm and fuzzy. Or when we get goosebumps. Or when we feel excited. That is a misconception. Let me say this. Yes, there are some times where feelings accompany his work, but we got to be very careful here. Feelings cannot be the determining factor of his presence or his activity. Feelings cannot be the determining factor of his presence or activity let me Let me read a verse to kind of. To clarify this, John 3, 8, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus here. He's talking about this idea of being born of the Spirit. You've been born of the water. You've been born physically. You have a need to be born again, born of the Spirit. And he says this to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And this is a very proper um, comparison here because the word Spirit in the Greek is pneuma, which literally means wind or breath. And so what Jesus is doing is comparing the Holy Spirit, the activity of the Holy Spirit, to the activity of the wind. That you don't always see it, you don't always feel it. There are times, have you ever heard like the wind howling, right? Or you feel it on your skin? There are times when you do hear and and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, his movement. But here's one thing that is always true. You always see the evidence of its activity. If you you drop into a a town that's been hit by a hurricane, you maybe didn't see the wind, but you see the impact. You couldn't grab a hold of the hurricane force winds, but you see the impact of it. And I want to read a quote from National Geographic. Good old Nat Geo says this about wind. It does not, wind does not have much substance. And it's talking about physical substance. You cannot see it or hold it, but you can feel its force. And I know I said the Holy Spirit isn't a force, but you can feel the the weight of, of his activity, the evidence of his movement, just like with the wind. And so sometimes we sense his presence. Sometimes we feel his nearness, Y'all, I would say that on Sunday mornings, I feel His presence, and it's—I get goosebumps not just because it's 68 degrees in the room, um, but because his Spirit is here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, night of prayer and worship. If you all were here, you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that happens corporately because you have all these little temples full of the Holy Spirit gathering together. And so it's appropriate for us to, you know, sing like we did this morning, like fill this place, fill the atmosphere. Um, but on a side note, it's I would say it's it's just as important that we're praying, God fill me. And fill this place. Fill me. But you know what sometimes we sense his presence, sometimes we feel his nearness, but Listen to me now. Us not feeling it does not mean he's absent or that he's not at work. Experience and feelings should never be our primary source of what is real. Scripture must be. Experience and feelings. Can I just confess to you? Two weeks ago, I preached out of Luke 9 and talked about this denying ourselves and taking up our cross and dying daily and I went home feeling like a chump. I feel like I blew it that morning. Uh, I did not feel good about that service or my sermon. And God graciously and mercifully reminded me, maybe more than other times, other Sundays, I received messages from people that were like, thank you. And you know what, it's a gracious reminder that God was saying, I don't care how you feel. I'm working. Whether you feel it, whether you get goosebumps and warm fuzzies or not, that doesn't mean I'm working or I'm not working, or that I'm present or that I'm absent. Scripture is what we base everything on. Second Peter 1, I won't read through this whole passage, but but Peter here says, you may remember this this occasion where... Peter and James and John, the inner circle of Jesus, were on this Mount of Transfiguration. And they got to witness Jesus like pull back the flesh, uh, the the veil of his flesh, of his humanity to expose the glory of God and all of its fullness. And and Peter was like, you know, man, this is the most amazing, remarkable experience I've ever had in my life. I got to be a part of this. He says in 2 Peter 1 verse uh, 16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, we got to lay our eyes on the most glorious experience of our lives. But then he goes a couple of verses later in verse number 19, and he says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Uh, The King James Version uses the phrase that says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, here's what Peter was saying. I got the most incredible experience you could ever have on this planet. I got to see the glory of God up close and I didn't die. But he says this, even though I had that experience, you and I now have a more sure word of prophecy. We have this completed word of God that is more sure than any experience, than any feeling we could ever have. And so don't base reality and truth on what you feel or what you experience. It's got to be based on scripture. And so our highs, like in Peter's case, our highs aren't necessarily indicative of his activity, But on the flip side of that, our lows aren't necessarily indicative of his inactivity. When we are in a bad place, that doesn't mean he's not working. When we don't feel his activity, when we're... Have you ever heard the phrase, the doldrums? Have you, have you all ever heard that? Anybody? That's an old phrase. I wanna, so I want to point you back to National Geographic. This is just something fun that I uncovered that I thought was very, really interesting that applied. National Geographic, talking about the wind, it says this, the earth contains five major wind zones. This is all kind of, I don't know if it's new information, Stuff maybe I learned at some point but forgot. Some of you maybe are up on this if you're brilliant, like Jay Sermon or somebody. I don't know, you probably know this already. The earth contains five major wind zones, polar easterlies, westerlies, horse latitudes, trade winds, and the doldrums. The doldrums. I was like, wow, that's interesting. The doldrums. And the doldrums is defined, and you probably know what it means, but it's a state of inactivity or stagnation, a dull, listless, depressed mood, low spirits. Have you all ever felt like you were in the doldrums? Here's what National Geographic, okay? It's not the Bible. But here's what it says. I thought this was interesting. The place where trade winds of the two hemispheres meet is called the Intertropical Convergence Zone, the ITCZ. The area around the ITZ, which is around the equator, is called the doldrums. Prevailing winds in the doldrums are very weak and the weather is unusually calm. I just thought that was interesting. Hmm. One thing you notice here is that even in the doldrums, the wind is still moving, Right? the wind is still at work it's still considered one of the five major wind zones here's my point in saying that is that even when we're at a low point even when we're in the doldrums the spirit of god is still working just because you don't feel it or you don't feel good just because you don't feel happy and excited and warm and fuzzy does not mean his spirit is not present and fully active. So his work, sometimes spectacular, always personal. All right, let's turn a corner and wind this down. I want to just go back again to John 16, verse 7. That verse one more time here when Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That that word helper in other translations, it's translated as comforter or counselor, advocate. All incredible descriptions of, of what the Holy Spirit does. But this Greek word, uh, I, I do want to pull a J sermon on you. I've got a Greek word for you. I already have one earlier when I talked about uh, yeah, Pneuma. Um, so here another one is helper. I, this is one I remember above all. The word helper in Greek is parakletos, which comes from the verb parakaleo, the way we English people would say is paraclete, all right? Uh, this, this word helper literally has the idea of, of one who comes alongside of, one who comes alongside of, one who is called to one's side. And as we kind of wrap this up this morning, I want this to be the, the, the final thing that we, we think about, that we remember, is that the helper, he is this one who, yes, he comes to be with us. Yes, he comes to be inside of us. He is, but he's one who comes alongside of us to help us. He is our ally who stands alongside us, come to help. And I can't think of a, a better term than helper, Because at the end of the day, doesn't this capture like the heart of every single one of our prayers? God help me, God help me, God help me to know how to handle this conflict in my life. God help me to know how to love this person. God help me to stay, to keep my head above water, to stay afloat. God, help me to know how to pray. The Holy Spirit is our helper, the one who has come alongside of us to help. His ways aren't always gentle. You know, sometimes he prods us to get uncomfortable. He did it with Jesus as he led him into the wilderness and all kinds of, of, of stories we see in the scriptures, but he, his work is always, always, always Personal. It's not always spectacular, but it's always personal. Romans 8.14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. This is a personal work that he does. Here is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is your ever-present helper. You are never alone and never without guidance. Amen. This is who he is, your ever-present helper. He's doing a work in you that is very personal. And whether it feels like it or seems like it or not, I would argue that the work he is doing in you is in fact spectacular. And he's not done yet. Amen. And so, Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are a God who comes alongside to help us. Each and every moment of our lives, thank you that you walk with us. Lord, I pray for those who this morning have never repented of their sins and turned from their sin to trust in you. I pray that today you would help them to see Christ in all of his glory and that they would turn their hearts to you. God, for others here, you are doing this work of conforming us to your image. And Lord, we wanna submit to you We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to walk by the spirit so that the fruit of the spirit would flow out of our life. And so, God, help us to trust you. Would you, this week, would you today have more and more and more of us? Because you deserve that. In Jesus' name we pray.